regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I am your host, Jacques Hopkins, and here with me as well as our co-host. What's up, Dr. K? What's up? Back for another episode of The Online Course Show. This is 164. Got an exciting guest on the on the show today. Uh, but before we get into that, what's going on with you? How are you, man? I've been doing fantastic up here. Just uh, enjoying the Iowa winter. What about you? Uh, not enjoying the Louisiana winter. It is. Uh, it's been. A, it's been a cold one so far. Um, it has me thinking about places like Puerto Rico. You know, we had Jason Dion come on, and he moved his whole family to Puerto Rico. I would imagine the winter there is not quite as as bad as here, which is not quite as bad as where you are. Correct. Yeah, he starts to sound pretty brilliant. So, yeah, and you're wearing your LSU football sweatshirt. So, representing today. <laughs> Go Tigers, man. Yeah. Looks good. So I think you had uh, you had one thing that you would like to talk about a little bit before we jump into this uh, this full conversation. Correct. Yes. The listeners will hear in the interview with Phil Ebener, you talk about uh, just where your pricing is today. And you did a test of a test run of bumping your price up to $1,000. And so recently I found a article, a blog post by Neil Patel called The Five Psychological Hacks That Will Make Your Pricing Page Irresistible. And I thought we could discuss that a little bit, but just also discuss pricing in general, your opinion on some of these things. So uh, first off, before we get into the five things in Neil Patel's blog post, what do you think about just one price for your course? What are your thoughts on that? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done that. And in fact, um, I always, always, always when I was first getting the idea, when I was first getting to online courses, my idea was always two ninety seven for my piano course. That one price, and, and when you say one price, I assume like it's here's what the offer is, here's what the price is. There's no other options, right? Right. And I remember, I'm sure I've told this story in the podcast before, but I remember when I got the idea for an online piano course early 2013. I was telling my wife about it, and she's like, "That sounds pretty cool. Like, how, mu- how much are you going to charge for something like that?" And I was like, "I'm thinking like, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking like two hundred ninety-seven dollars." And she goes, "Who in the hell is going to pay that <laughs> oh my for gosh. that? I'll never, I'll never forget that." Um, and I was like, "Well, I, you know, I think some people might. We'll see." And I, and I originally launched it saying, "Hey, you know, this is this is new, like early bird. Um, you know, you can get it for a steep discount, ninety-seven bucks, but." For the first couple of years, it was just one one course, one option. It was two ninety seven, and you could do a payment plan. Uh, I think I implemented that pretty pretty quickly as well. And then it was it was several years into it that I added a, a higher end option and a lower end option as well. So yes, I do have experience. A long way to answer your question. Got it. Well, I kind of skipped over something I wanted to mention just briefly is that when we talk about pricing. I mean, there are three different goals here. Uh, As a business owner, your true goal is to maximize profit. If we just look at it purely from a business perspective, maximize profit is it. A second goal would be serve the customer the best. So if you say, I want to 
serve customers the best, that could mean that you want to serve more customers. So you lower the price. A higher price can mean that you can offer the customers more. And then in this category of serving the customers the best, we are talking about small business and you have your own personal emotions. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your small business. So you might, you might set some personal rule that you say, I would want my grandfather to be willing to sign up for this course. And you might put this top number that you say, you know, my, my grandfather would not spend a thousand dollars on a piano course, but he would spend 700 and, and you just set that number. You're allowed to do whatever you want there. Uh, when you say define, serve the customer the best. The third thing would be keep things simple and avoid difficult record keeping. And I know that's something that you, mm-hmm. you probably, everything you think about pricing, you're like, yeah, that might increase profit a little tiny bit, but it adds all this complexity. And so that can be something that you want to avoid is just saying, I don't want this like nightmare of record keeping. So with your current, all the things that are offered in these additional courses that you've just offered. So for new listeners, you added a course, uh, jazz piano in 21 days, you have classical piano in 21 days. Does going mm-hmm. back to a one price option appeal to you at all? And if you did it, what would the, what would the price be that would meet those criteria? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So the price, if it were just one price, it would either be like four ninety seven, six ninety seven, or nine ninety seven. But I think there is great advantages to having multiple pricing options. Uh, the article that you mentioned from Neil Patel, uh, I, I definitely read through it. You sent it to me ahead of time, and. He talks about how you can have, um, I don't know if price anchoring is the right, right word for it, but just having multiple options instills certain psychological triggers in people. But what's interesting is that he talks about in the article, it's usually the middle option you're trying to drive people toward. And at this point, you know, but back when I had the one product at 997, or excuse me, 297, I was like, okay, I want to I wanna try to get a little more money per, per customer. And so I added a 497 option and threw in more value over there. But at the same time, I felt like I was leaving a little bit of money on the table with the with kind of a lower end as well. And so I added the $97 option. So what's interesting is that the middle option is not my most popular option, like his, like Neil Patel's article suggests. 80% of my buyers actually go for the the high-end package. Okay. Well, jumping into Neil Patel's article, I would say that you actually did one of his strategies, which was called the decoy effect. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you viewed it that way. But uh, the decoy effect, essentially, he says, if you have, you want to drive people toward your your highest end option. He says, uh, if you had just two options, they would often go for the lowest option. But he says, add a mid-priced option that lets lets people justify their purchase of the top option through a two-step process. So you want this mid-priced option to be mispriced, essentially. And so essentially, if somebody is in your course, they're looking at your funnel and your options, they look at the $100 book and they say, well, I want to do an online course. Like That doesn't sound like a good option. So then they say, well, I can at least do the $297 option. That's the starting point for the course. And then they look at that and they're like, yeah, I definitely, I want to join the course. And then they look at all the additional value that they get for just $200 more. And all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, but for just $200 more, I get, I get to actually hang out with Jacques one-on-one. I get the actual physical package. And so that was the decoy effect is that your 297 option was essentially low on value and it makes that highest priced option 
just seemed like a no brainer. Like, yeah, like, of course, I'm going to spend $200 more to get all this additional value. So yeah, I would say that you definitely did the decoy effect. Yes, I, I agree completely. And that's that that was my intent. And it, it, and it works. Because for the for the low end package, they get they get one thing. And I have a, a, a pricing table that looks good. It's very clear the value you're getting that the middle option, you get two things, you get the book and the basic course. But then on the on the 497 package, you get like 11 things, right? So you you described it perfectly where it's like you're walking through your options. It's like, okay, well, maybe I could do 297. But but for just another $200, I get all this extra stuff. Holy smokes, you know, I'm really trying to stack on the value on that top end package while also being able to offer something to the people that just can't afford the $500. Right. And so that saying that like the the middle option is is a psychological uh, effect, he calls that the center stage effect. And I would say you could do that more just on the actual page. So if you if you create your new options, they gave the example that they say some gas stations put premium gas in the middle. So that's clearly by far the most expensive option, but they put it in the middle because they know psychologically people go toward the middle one. And so uh, the other thing that he recommends is you point out the most popular option. And so I would say, yes, you are still, no matter what you do with your new pricing, you're going to drive people toward that highest end option. But when you put it on, like you, you show these three options, you would put the most expensive one in the middle on the actual physical page um, with that really long list of things. You'd make it like a different shade of gray where and, and put at the bottom and the top most popular option because your most expensive option is the most popular. So even though it's a little bit different version of your of your highest end package, you say most popular, and that's going to be the center stage effect and the bandwagon effect still put in place, even though you're driving people toward not the middle option as far as pricing. Very, very interesting. That's not something, I guess I kind of missed that point in the article, but now that you say that, I, they, they did have an image of like a gas pump where the the highest, uh, what's it called, octane level, like the 93 level Correct. is the most expensive, but it's in the middle of the three choices that you press. And so what you're saying is that right now on my sales page, I've got them in order of of least to most of price. So let's try moving that 497 package, just the graphic, the way it looks, let's move it to the middle instead of all the way to the right. And this article is suggesting it might perform even better than it is now. That is something that I would love to split test. I wouldn't want to just do it, but that's a, that's a prime candidate for a split test. And if you're using something like ClickFunnels, it's pretty easy to do a split test like that. You can, I don't know if, if listeners have have done many split tests, but with with ClickFunnels specifically, I know you there's a little slider, and you don't have to just do 50 50 hmm. traffic. Um, you can you can say okay, send 50 percent of the traffic to this. Um, sales page, this version, send 50% to this version, but you can also split it differently. You can say 72% uh, versus 28% and so on. So uh, just creating two different versions of the sales page that are very similar, except for that pricing table and split testing it would be a really interesting um, thing to do. Correct. Yeah. I do think that the results would be pretty, pretty minimal. I mean, that's not going to be the biggest thing because also verbally, verbally, you should be doing this as well is especially that bandwagon effect, just emphasizing most people, most people choose this highest end option because as you can see, it's so loaded with additional value and it only costs $200 more 
Um, so just just most people look at this and just say, I'm going to go with that. So the effects of just moving the highest price to the middle one, I think would have a, just a small effect. One of the other things from Neil Patel's five psychological hacks, he recommends using something called base rate neglect. And this base rate neglect says that when people are only uh, confronted with, with pricing options that are fairly similar, they kind of forget the context of kind of like what they could do if they were just out shopping around. And so an example in that article is they say, let's say that you go to uh, a small mechanic and the options for an oil change are $69.99 or $79.99. You know, you're there already. You're like, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's let's actually do the $79.99 one. And so you kind of forget that you could go to Walmart and get an oil change for 25 bucks. Because it's like you're already in that situation. I would say the most most vivid example of this would be movie theater popcorn. <laughs> so, so once you walk in there, assuming that you're not like a, a super saver kind of person who stopped by Walgreens before and, and bought some Mike and Ikes. Um, but once you're at the movie theater, you you kind of are just like, okay, you know, popcorn starts at $8. There's a $12 option and then a $15 option. And you know, you just, you're like, okay, I'm here. I smell the smells. I'm going to go ahead and buy this. And I did actually do some research on movie theater popcorn because it's a good example. And it's a bad example because a lot of people would say, well, that's extortionistic. Um, the deal with movie theater popcorn is that movies, movie theaters make almost no money on the movies. And so the movies are in a way a lost leader. They make like $2 a ticket. And so then the food ends up being where they can actually become profitable and survive. But I would say that's an example of why a funnel works. If you just, if you just put your price there, the four ninety seven, before people are in your world by giving you the email and starting to build the relationship with you, they say, "Whoa, well, that seems really expensive." But once they're in your funnel, once they're getting to know you, then that doesn't seem it doesn't seem expensive, and they kind of forget that. Yeah, well. Hey, I could actually look and see what what a uh, what I could get as far as a piano course for ten dollars. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I was having trouble kind of applying this one, this base rate uh, neglect, which is I think the last one that he he mentioned. Um, I didn't quite know where you were going with it because you brought up the popcorn example, and then um, and then you say, "Oh, this is why we need funnels." Like I'm trying to figure out exactly how to apply this to course creators, and I thought where we were going is is the fact that I've got my ninety seven dollar option, and it is just a book, and, do, and people do tell me that it's like I'm not going to pay ninety seven bucks for just a book. That's fine. You're probably not going to be a good a good customer for me anyway. But that is that is higher price for just like for text, right? But I want it higher price because everything that I offer on on piano in 21 days is higher priced. Is that a fair application? Yes, I think so. But just conceptually, you you have decided that you're a premium. You are offering a premium product. You know, you're you're driven to transform people's lives. And so you're comfortable with charging more. And I think that 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 just highlights, you know, yes, once people are in your world, in general, they're, they're experiencing that relationship. And so they tend to just forget that, yes, they could probably find a $20 piano course or a $10 piano course. And they just say, I really enjoy this guy's style. And uh, I can see that that it's a premium product. And I can see all the testimonials. So just being comfortable with with having a higher end option. Very cool. So 
before we got into Neil Patel's article, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, what would you think about one price with an order bump? What are your feelings and emotions about order bumps? I do like order bumps. I, I don't, cause I don't think they're very aggressive, but they are effective, right? I don't, I like order bumps way more than like, um, like OTOs, right? One-time offers, upsells, downsells, right? When you, when you fill out an order form and then you click buy and then you don't, and then the next page is not, Hey, successful. Thank you. Welcome. It's wait, add this super special deal to your cart, right? I've never done that. I've just, there's always feel just really. Right slimy to me for the most part. I mean, I, there, there's ways you could probably do it more effectively than others, but I do like the order bumps, which is just a little checkbox at the bottom of the order form. It's like, hey, you can add this to your cart. Um, and so for all of my packages, each one actually does have a, an order bump associated with it. And a, a fair amount of people do do select that. So I, I'm a fan of order bumps. Wait, so you said there's the order bump is on the main sales page and then upsell is like the second, the follow-up page. Is that how you define it? Yes. Yeah. Definition of an order bump is on the main order form page. And it's just like a, a little, usually they're, they're, it's, a, it's a rectangular section that has a dotted line around it. I'm not sure why, but that's kind of usually what it looks like. That is what an order bump is. It just bumps up the amount of the order a little bit uh, all on the same page. Okay. Well, yeah. And so interestingly, there was a discussion just just this week in the Facebook group, um, your online course community. And this lady, she joined your online course accelerator, which again, the steps to do that is that a person, all they have to do is get expert secrets, a free book, and then they have to pay for shipping. But you and I both know as soon as you say, yes, I want this free book plus shipping, (laughs) <laughs> then on the next page, it says, hey, you know, would you like to join the one funnel away challenge and just goes from there, correct? Yeah, if, if and that's one of the things, one of the reasons that offer is going to go away because I'm sending you to somebody else's ecosystem and they, you know, we've been over this, like ClickFunnels, Russell Brunson, they can be pretty aggressive in what they're trying to sell to you. But yeah, that, that's how it works. And in this particular example, that rubbed this person the wrong way, I correct. believe. Well, I was thinking of a, a little analogy and just trying to reflect on these this idea of upsells or order bumps and and what feels actually helpful and what actually leaves the person with a bad taste in their mouth. And so uh, personally, I'm really into biking and I was thinking of a bike store analogy. So let's say that I walk into a bike store, I'd be buying a bike somewhere in the $3,000, $4,000 price range. So I go in there and the salesperson helps me find this like perfect bike. And I get it all, all zeroed in. Okay. Here's the color. I got the right size and, and I'm like, yes, okay. I'm definitely getting this bike. Well, then let's say they say, okay, now you have to buy a chain. And again, I'm spending $3,200 on a bike and they're like, I have to buy the chain. Again, the chain is something that's 100% essential to the bike. And so I'd be like, this bike doesn't come with a chain. And so that would be kind of in this nickel and dime category. So if you were going to do the main offer and then you were going to do an upsell, you would want it to not feel like you're nickel and diming the person. Some other offers, uh, let's imagine that I say, yes, I want the $3,200 bike. And they say, okay, you know, we got the bike taken care of. Now, you know, what would really look good with this bike is a Subaru. So <laughs> let's go and pick you out a Subaru. Well, again, if I just spent $3,200 on a bike, I'm kind of probably going to be, no, I'm not going to 
I'm not ready to spend $20,000 or $28,000 on a Subaru. And so some that would kind of fall into the same category as the expert secrets. So you get your book for free plus $7.99. And then they're like, oh, while you're here, you know, buy this $300 product. And that would leave some people saying like, whoa, like this, all I signed up for was this, this relatively cheap book. The way that uh, the bike store analogy could actually work right. Let's say I buy the bike. So I got everything picked out on the bike. And then the salesperson says, okay, just to let you know, when somebody buys a new bike, um, any of the other things that you want to pick out in the store, just today while you buy your bike, we would offer a 25% discount. And so here's the list of the 10 most common things that people pick out when they get their bikes. So a lot of people will get a pair of shoes. A lot of people will get a kit, a helmet. And uh, basically, you know, if anything on this list you don't already have, you can get 25% off today. And if I had just bought the book, I mean, I would definitely say, wow, this is like really great service because they're offering me this really exceptional deal. And so with your new, with your new course offerings, I was reflecting that you could actually, um, you have these two to three additional courses. And so let's say you were to say, um, you know, your whole sales pitch is to drive people to just one offer, a 697 for the course. Um, they get the live teaching and uh, the physical product for like 697. And then this would actually be in the upsell category. But let's say after they do that, then the next page they say, okay, just to let you know, a lot of people who do this do ultimately decide that they want to do jazz in 20 or learn some jazz piano. They want to learn classical piano. And a lot of people want to be able to play the melodies as well. And so I've priced these courses at $100 each. If you want to buy this today with your purchase of piano in 21 days, you can add it to your cart for just $150. And if you decide that you want one of these courses in the future, um, they're each $100 individually. But if you want to take advantage of this today, you know, go ahead and add that to your course or, or to your full purchase. And so to me, that would be an upsell that those are, in a sense, standalone courses. And I think most people would say that it would just feel synergistic, not not like you're taking advantage of them. Yeah, it's not like the chain example where it's obviously something you need. But right. in, in this example, personally, I would just rather have that be the order bump than actually go to another page. You've also got to really keep in mind your audience too, right? So ClickFunnels, um, you go through, you go through, and you sign up for ClickFunnels or Expert Secrets. Like they're they're very heavy on the upsells and the, the downsells, but that's that's the type of audience that that is coming there, right? For me, mm-hmm. it's it's older people, not techie people. They just want to learn piano, right? So I don't I don't want to do a lot of this marketing, salesy stuff for for my particular audience, right? I think. I mean, there's a rule of selling that a confused mind doesn't buy. When you confuse, so in, you lose. <laughs> right. In, in that bike example, like there's no way that they should be, while we're talking about the bike, they should not be talking to me about shoes. They should not be talking to me about a kit or a helmet. It's like our first priority is getting you the new bike. If you don't buy the bike, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And so that is this, this step-by-price, step-by-step process buy the bike. Okay. Now what else do you need to enjoy your bike? And so I think that's where the upsell lets you focus on one thing at a time. 
Yeah, I think it could, it, it could be done. Uh, it could be done right. I'm just from my from my experience over the last about eight years now of selling an online course. Um, I do like bumps a lot, but I've I've never successfully implemented an upsell that I felt good about. Sure. So yeah, the main thing I don't I don't actually think that a bump is the right thing for you, but I think <laughs> but I think that but I think there is a way to do it properly, and I do see those. Those three courses, the Melody in 21 Days, Mm -hmm. the Jazz Piano in 21 Days, and the Classical Piano in 21 Days, those would make sense as a bump offer. But um, so ultimately, after talking about this, like what what are you looking at doing for your pricing? Like, I definitely think that you're due. I mean, you've added so much additional value to your course. And so... Do you really have things kind of zeroed in on what you're going to do? So the the problem is, and this is this is a good problem, but the problem is that you know my current pricing works, right? The the three levels, ninety seven, two ninety seven, four ninety seven. A couple months ago, I experimented with the nine ninety seven package. I shared some of those results. It was okay. It was mixed results, um, but my existing structure it just works, right? So um, something something's going to have to work better for me to switch over to it. And the only true way to know that is a proper split test. And I just simply haven't done it, uh, done that yet. We put a lot of time and effort into this new platform, into updating the courses, and we're just, we're just not to that point yet. And so at this point, we're still, we're still um, humming along at our existing pricing model that's been working for us for years now. But this is, this is going to be an ongoing conversation because I do plan to, to test and optimize uh, pricing overall um, as we are now in 2021. And you know, hopefully by the end of 2021, I do have a kind of a newer pricing model that's outperforming what I'm doing now. At some point during this year in, in 2021, hopefully sooner rather than later, we will be testing, doing proper split testing on a new God. pricing model. And we, we, you know, by the end of the year, we could be right where we are now, or we could find something that outperforms where we are now. But uh, the only way to to know that is to do a, a proper split test. And until we have all the, the courses finished and, and all the new pages in the platform finished, ready, our beta testers have finished their testing, I'm not going to worry about that yet because what I have now is working. Got it. Does that make sense? Got it. Well, I definitely, uh, one other lesson I guess I would say is that prices do just go up. And so I did have this really wise older accountant come in as a patient at one, or yes, as a patient at one point. And he did tell me, you know, it gets in our heads as a business owner that it's scary to raise prices. And his advice was actually for business just to, at the very least, raise their prices like 2% each year. And uh, that's a way, just a smaller bump. So I guess, I guess if I was giving you advice, at the very least, I would think trying raising the book to 150 and then raising the two courses $100 each and mm-hmm. seeing how that performs. But it's an interesting discussion. I enjoyed discussing this. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather would you rather try to sell one course for like $500 or $1000 or would you rather try to sell 100 courses at like $10 each? I'd rather sell just the the smaller amount at a higher price point. There's pros and cons to both. And that's one of the things that uh, Phil Ebener and I discussed in this conversation. It's it's really interesting because, as you know, and as we've kind of talked about, you know, I I basically have one course. Like, okay, I've got some bonuses, and I I have ways that I can split it up into three different pricing models. But for the most part, it's the piano in twenty one days course. And 
uh, you know, all my effort goes into to that. Phil, Phil is interesting. It's that's not his model at all. He is cranking out courses, and it's working really well for him. I'm sure a lot of listeners know who Phil is already. Um, I've had multiple people request me having him on, and it's funny because I've actually been trying to have him on for a while. If you're not familiar with Phil Ebener, he's uh, he's a he's huge on Udemy. He's been around there for a long time. Uh, I've actually taken a couple of courses uh, from him on there. I bought, I bought a, a YouTube course years ago for ten dollars, and I was just learning um, some some things on YouTube with my YouTube channel. Um, you know, thumbnails, proper uh, descriptions and titles, and um, and and even s- some tips on filming and lighting and so on. And, and Phil was the the instructor on that course. Uh, but I reached out to him a couple of years ago, actually, about coming on the podcast because he's just he's such a, a big time course creator and um the time he just never really worked out he was having twins you know growing a family and whatnot and so fortunately we finally made it happen but um we're we're both course creators Phil and I are both course creators but take a, a completely different approach and, and and I don't think either one is wrong so I, I I think um that's that's one of my big takeaways and we'll obviously talk about it more that was my way of kind of transitioning from the pricing discussion into this uh this conversation as well. Right. And it's, you, you provide such a good contrast, you and Phil, a lot of things in common, uh, but that pricing is probably the single biggest difference. There we go. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's play it for the audience and then we'll, we'll come back on the back end and talk about it. So without mm-hmm. further ado, here's the full conversation between myself and Phil Ebener. What's up, Phil? Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am doing really well. Super excited to be here. And make the time to get to know you, to share my story, advice, or whatever else I can talk about. <laughs> that sounds great. You know, I got I got to tell you, you probably win the award for longest time between when I first reach out to you and we're actually recording the podcast. That's so funny. Did you look up when you first reached out to me? Because I can't remember when it was. It was it was sometime in 2018. So we've it's, been, it's definitely been over two years. And I know at the time when I first reached out, you're like, yeah, I would like to. But look, and I don't know, you were either about to have twins or you had just had twins. You're like, it's not a good time, man. Reach back out later. So I do. I want to start there. Like managing an online business, young family. I mean, I've got two two young kids as well, three and five over here. Like how how's that been going for you, and how is that different than before having kids? Well, yeah. So you know how hard it is to have kids, and 2018 exactly was when we had the twins. And then you probably reached out like I don't know, like nine months ago, and I was like, actually, we're having another baby. <laughs> so, and we're like in the midst of this like pandemic. My schedule's crazy, so I'm sorry, Jock. I'm gonna have to delay another time. And so we squeezed this in between our next kid, which I hope is not going to happen because I'm my hands are full with the three kids. But it's definitely changed a lot. I think before having kids, I you just don't know what it's like to have kids. You don't know how time consuming it can be. And just I don't know if I was naive, but I think in my mind, I was like, OK, well, yeah, if you have kids or wherever you are in your life just make time, you know, on the weekend to get started, make time in the evenings to get started. But now that I have kids, I'm like, wow, that would be really, really tough. Way tougher than it was for me as someone just out of college living by myself. I was working full time when I started teaching online, but I had 
the evenings free. I had the weekends free to get started. And you're just not that, you know, drained. Just my schedule right now is crazy too. I'm working mostly in the evenings. And by the end of the day, it's tough to get on camera and to feel like I'm ready to, you know, turn it on and teach online. And it's tough, you know. Um, And I think, again, naively in the beginning, I was like, okay, it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. But the more I talk to parents, I don't know if it ever really gets easier. It might just get different. Different. Yeah. So I don't know. I work from home and the kids are here. My wife's now, she quit her job or she got laid off actually when we first had kids. And so she's helping watch the kids a lot. Um, But I don't know what your situation is with the kids. Do you like have a set schedule or are you working from home or do you have like a studio outside? No, this is this is my home. What you're seeing right now is is my home. It's like all the way in the corner of our house. I try to get as far away from them as possible. But um, you know, both both my kids are now in school full time. That is when we're not quarantining or, or something, because that has happened multiple times since we started back to school in in August. But my wife, uh, fortunately, is able to be a stay at home mom. She she's got her own little business as well, but it's uh, it's not. The, the main source of our of income for our family either. So she doesn't work full time on it by any means. Yeah. So this is the this is how we pay the bills, mostly piano in 21 days. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, online course guy, online course show is kind of a side hustle to that, mostly because I enjoy it so much. And being able to meet people like you, I probably probably would have never met you if I just was the piano guy. Mm-hmm. Even though to I don't I mean I've taken one of your courses. Not that you don't have a million <laughs> courses out there, but um, you know, I've got like 80,000 YouTube subscribers on my piano in 21 days channel. And, and back when I had like 5,000, I remember taking one of your YouTube marketing courses, which was awesome. I think you did it with, which I know you team up with people a lot, but Mike, mm, Mike and you Lauren. did that one with Mike, Mike and Lauren. Yeah. And I've actually had Mike on the podcast. Oh, nice. But, nice. Yeah. yeah. That was a while ago. And I think we've likely updated that course once since you took it. But yeah, that's. I feel like we have a very similar path um, because I obviously had my online course master's podcast as well. But I've kind of taken a break from that just yeah. to focus on other things. But it's cool to see that you've continued with the podcast. And I know I have a lot of fr- friends. Um, I know Jason Dion was just on your show and he was like, okay, Jacques wants you to be on your show, his show. Can you like get back to him again? I'm like, okay. Oh, well, Jason, he, he was like, you know, I can make it a connection for you. I was like, don't worry, man. I've got the, <laughs> I've got the thread open. He's just, we just got to find time. Yeah. But yeah, as far as kids go, man, you just, it's crazy how much you take that for granted, what it's like before. Like you just, like you said, you never really know. And I just, you know, for people listening to this that don't have kids yet, it's like, what are you waiting for? Like, get on it. I wish I could go back yeah. before kids. Not that I don't love my kids, but I just, all that time I would have had and like be able to put even more into the business then so that I could focus less on the business and more on the kids now that they exist. But you'll never really know. You got to no, experience it to know. No, it's like you look back on your life. I look back and I don't think I have like major regrets, but I think, man, when I didn't have kids, why didn't I just do all the stuff that I wanted to do? Like on the weekend, go on trips, go, you know, now I'm like, oh, I wish I could go backpacking or camping with my friends or by myself. And I'm like, well, I could have done that 
before, but I just didn't. And it's just, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to look back on this time and be like, why didn't I do this or that? So um, it's, it's tough. I think once the kids are in school, that will open up a little bit of time. But at the same time, what am I complaining about? I am working from home, making a great living. I can be here for my kids. And that was that was honestly the goal when I started was figuring out a way that I could, once we did have kids, be at home with them and to be able to decide, okay, do I want to work these hours or later? I grew up with my dad just working a normal job, like 99% of kids. And you know, just wanting him to be home more. He uh, had a long commute and growing up, I was like, man, I want something different. And so, yeah, I'm very fortunate to, to be here in this situation. Can't, I can't really complain um, at all. Yes. I mean, say for me, the freedom, is, if there's one word, like just the, the freedom of not having a boss, being able to, to call the shots and, and do things, cool things is, is what really was the allure to to have an online business and specifically an on- online course uh, for me? Um, can, is there something that really jumps out at you? Is like something really cool, like one of your favorite things that you've been able to do, whether it's with your family or not, as a result of you getting into this line of work? I think the, I mean, there's just like the freedom, like you said, is like awesome, and not having to ask for time off from work to go on vacations and to be able to go on, be fortunate to be able to take the family to Hawaii for a week or a couple of weeks last year. That was really fun. We're not traveling right now, obviously during the pandemic, but travel has always been something that I've really loved. I'm not like a travel influencer who like wants to go travel full time or work as a digital nomad in Thailand or anything crazy like that. But I love traveling. I think the one thing that changed my life the most because of online courses was being able to pay off my student loans rather quickly. I graduated with $100,000 in student loan debt, which is really crazy. It's crazy that that's normal, though, for a lot of people. But I just remember going to sleep every night after graduation, just like stressed, like with that weight on my shoulder. And I have friends who are in somewhat similar situations and they can just like, just like live their life without worrying about it. But I would go to bed every night, just, just worried and stressed about that. And so since college, I was always looking for ways, extra ways to make money, started doing wedding videography, doing side video projects. But it wasn't until creating online classes and income started to multiply and ramp up over the first few years that I just decided to go like full force with paying off the student loan debt. And so we did that in four years or so after school, which is, again, really fortunate, very lucky to have been able to do do that. But since then, I feel like my life just like, just haven't been as stressed. And anyone with debt or obligations like that knows how stressful and you know draining that can be. But that's probably the best thing. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about taking things for granted like before kids, but this is this is the same thing in terms of when you're like 18, 19 years old, you don't understand what it means to have a hundred thousand dollars in debt 
like that. I mean, that's a, that's a mortgage, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I went to school, you know, and love my parents. Um, and who knows, they'll, they'll listen to this and they don't have any other kids that are going to go into school. But their, their opinion was like a lot of people was like, oh, it's going to work out. And they just lived with uh, their, their debts as well. Mortgages, credit card debt, like a lot of people. And it was just like, oh, well, yeah, just go to the school you want and it's going to work out. And thankfully it did work out, but I don't know if that was like, that was like just like the most optimistic view of going into a school where I was going to be taking out twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 in loans every year. So I'm so thankful that it worked out. Uh, my parents did raise me to be a hard worker and be creative and dedicated. So I, I thank them for that. But yeah, just, yeah, you just don't know what it's like. So anybody going into school, I would suggest trying to be a little bit more financially smart, going to community college first, and and then also trying side hustles like this and maybe work your do your own thing. Um, it's it's worked out for the both of us pretty well. Yeah, cr- creating something of your own to make money um, that you don't necessarily need a college degree for, but also taking online courses or certifications as a different path versus a, a normal undergraduate degree. And and by the way, I mean you're you're definitely the outlier when you said once you graduated, like you had trouble sleeping, like you just you were constantly thinking about the the debt. Um, I, I think that's not normal. Like even when you do graduate, you still don't fully understand the negative impact that much that can have. And I could talk probably a long time about all the problems with that. Um, that's that just I'm not a fan of debt at all. And and the the crazy amount that uh, people end up having to spend for a college education, and then in a lot of cases, not even ending up with a job in that field. What what was your major, and what was that job that you uh, ended up getting? Yeah, so I feel I studied film and television. Again, like okay, you're going to go to school and get hundred thousand dollars in debt and come out with like a film major, and I don't I don't think that's like the best idea. But I always focused on more the digital media, new sort of online video compared to the like Hollywood style of film production. So now I look back and I'm like, wow, that was actually a pretty good skill to have. It is a good skill to have. Everyone needs online video and that's the way of the future. And so out of school, I was just looking for anybody that would hire me full time because I didn't have the luxury of just trying to do the freelance thing as a film creative, um, which a lot of people can can try to do that to break into the industry. But my first couple of full-time jobs were actually at colleges. One was like a tiny school down in Southern California, a tech school in their communications department. And then I moved up to Berkeley when my wife was getting her master's degree. And I got a job at uh, UC Berkeley, again, in their sort of like media communications department. So putting use, being able to use my skills um, that I learned in school and making videos. And also that's when I discovered online education through both of those jobs because both of those schools were involved with creating their own online classes. So that was, yeah, when I discovered Udemy and first started making my own online courses. 
Give me an idea of time frame. When, when was this when you discovered that world of online courses? My first course came out in October 2012. And so it was probably a few months before that when I landed on the udemy.com website as part of researching for my job, just looking at other platforms, trying to you know, show my boss like what platforms are out there. What could our school's platform look like? It's like, man, this is cool. You to me, you can like take all these lessons. You have a notes section and all this kind of cool stuff. And then I just realized, oh, you could teach your own online classes. That's cool. At that time, I had discovered Pat Flynn and he had written a, his ebook. That was like his big claim to fame back then with Smart Passive Income was his, his, his ebooks. And so my idea before creating an online course was actually to write a, an ebook. And I had this idea of the diary of a film student. And I had outlined a bunch of it. I had written a bunch of journals through college. And my idea was I was going to put this together in this ebook for, for people wanting to go to film school, like just this story of what film school was like. Um, but then I found out about online courses and kind of jumped over to that that type of content. And I never, I never finished that, <laughs> that book, but I think the online courses worked out. Yeah, it, see, it seems to be. Um, we got started around the same time. I was about 2013 and, and certainly was a big fan and still am of, of Pat Flynn. And I know the, the ebook was like that architecture exam, the, the lead exam. Yeah. He sold it for maybe a hundred bucks, probably less than that, but was bringing in like 20 grand a month. Mm-hmm. So you, you're hearing that. Um, and it's, it's like, wow, what could I write an ebook on? Um, and I, that's what I heard. And I remember writing my ebook. Like I, that's, that's where I actually started was the first thing I did for my course was I wrote the book version, like the ebook version, knowing all the while that I was going to sell that and uh, an online course kind of have two tiers. And I've actually done that ever since. Like even to this day, you can buy the, the ebook version or the online course. Now I have an even more premium version of that, but I totally get like that, that message of the ebook really resonating. So for you, you, you didn't stick with that ebook approach and the online course, you jumped full force ahead into online courses. Um, now how many, how many courses have you created and what was that first one that you created? Oh man, I should have come up with the number. I, all I know is that if you go to my Udemy profile, I have over a hundred courses under my brand. Um, now that includes, like you mentioned early on that I do a lot of partnerships. So I would say now 75 or more percent of my courses are partnerships. And that could be where I am on camera helping teach the topic, or it could be where I'm, it's a topic that I don't know myself. So I'm more the producer behind the class, giving advice to the instructor, figuring out how to structure it, what kind of uh, things to add to the course to make it better, um, helping to write all the copy, sell it, promote it, all of that kind of stuff. And then some of the courses are just translations of the courses. Um, So for example, our big photography masterclass, now we have in Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, Mandarin. Uh, So You'll see over 100 courses, but different unique courses. I think it's probably, it still is up there. It's probably over um, 70, 75 courses that we've created. And I've put, I've actually unpublished uh, quite a few as well. So I think, yeah, you're breaking all kinds of records, Phil. I think that might be a record for this podcast too. 
over over 160 episodes in, and I don't think anybody's said they've hit the three figure mark as far as quantity of courses. So that's that's quite impressive, but 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 an interesting business model too, because like mm-hmm. you said, you're not necessarily the face or the the main driver behind all of them, but you find these great partnerships. Yeah, and I think the my strength or what I figured out was most of my income still comes from the courses on Udemy. And to have a lot of success on Udemy and to make a decent income, most people need to have a handful of courses. And uh, with Udemy, you're not going to, unless you have like a knockout course, there's, again, like maybe a handful of people can, that can have one course on Udemy and make a, a decent income. Um, most people need a series of courses. And I just kind of expanded upon that and just kept making courses. I have courses in different buckets from photography to video production, expanding into design and art now, and then uh, some business and marketing as well. So let's let's get into Udemy a little bit. I've, I've only dipped my toe in the water. And I think that was based on Jeremy Deegan's rec- recommendation, who I know you know well. He's He's been on the podcast before. And he, he mentioned it could possibly be like a, a lead gen uh, tactic as well. I've since, I've since removed that. It didn't work as well as, as I was necessarily hoping, but I also wanted to just check out Udemy. At this point, you, and, the, and by the way, you know, Jason Dion, uh, Scott Duffy, like big Udemy guys I've, I've talked to and, and, and know the pros and cons of it. Do you have courses elsewhere or just on Udemy at this point? Yeah. And I forgot to mention my very first course was a video editing course in Final Cut Pro. You had asked that. Cool. Okay. And that one's uh, still makes some sales actually. But nice. I have put my courses on Udemy. I put most of my courses on Skillshare as well. And I do have my courses hosted on my own school using Teachable. The way I market that course, those courses is as a membership though. So you can buy my courses on my own platform and get access to all 100 plus courses for $12 a month. Or if you want to go individual, you can get them on... I usually drive people to, to Udemy. And then I have them on several other platforms as well. Smaller platforms, Stack Commerce promotes my courses. I have a couple courses on Fiverr's new platform. I think it's learn.fiverr. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the beauty of the having... Putting them on platforms that don't require exclusivity is being able to put them everywhere. And so every little course is a little stream of income itself. And on every platform, it's a a different stream of income. So I feel like it's a pretty um, solid business model. Of course, though, there's that constant debate of, okay, do you want to sell it for a more premium price on your own platform or, or the marketplace platforms like Udemy? And I always say, if you have an audience and you really feel like your course is you want to charge more and you can build the funnels and you can drive the traffic, yeah, put it on your own platform and have control of the entire process. But if you're just getting started out and you don't have any audience, it's going to be really hard to sell a class. Like You can't just put it on a website and hope that someone finds it in a Google search. That's just not going to happen nowadays. You either have to do all of the work to build up an audience and I mean, maybe you can use things like paid advertising to drive traffic and lead markets and all of that, lead magnets. But that's a lot of work and effort and it costs 
costs money up front to, to do that. I think for people just getting started out, Udemy and Skillshare and these platforms still are a very viable place to put your courses, see how it goes, and use the power of the marketplace to to sell your classes. The name of the game with the marketplace is ranking well in the search. So all of these platforms are basically search engines. Most of them, the search results are based off of good reviews, number of students, how engaging a class is, how much of a class someone watches. So SEO and your course title, subtitle, description. I mean, we could dive into all of that, but with a marketplace, the name of the game is getting your, your course ranking well. And if you can do that, that's when you start to make money on these platforms. Yeah. Th- there's a quote that uh, from Jason Dion that I remember that really jumps out at me. He said, you know, if you want to go with the marketplace route, the reason you would do that because here's the quote, they handle the marketing, you handle the content, right? So, so it falls right in line with what you're saying. Like if you're just starting out, you don't have an audience yet. You know, if you want these guys to handle the marketing and you just focus on an awesome course could be the way to go. If I could push back on that a little bit, what would you say to the person that, that takes that advice? They put a course out there, but then it never ranks on the first page and they really don't make any sales. Like, should they just give up or what, what would you recommend they do next? I think nowadays it's, it is harder to, unless it's like a topic that just doesn't have many courses, which isn't really the case anymore on a platform like Udemy, there is a lot of competition. So you will have to put in some initial work to get, drive some traffic to a course on Udemy to get that in those initial reviews, that initial juice, that SEO juice to, to try to rank it. So maybe you, you do have to start a YouTube channel and start driving traffic to Udemy through YouTube. Start a website, blog, drive traffic back to the courses on Udemy. Put out the course for free and build up an email list. Either, well, you can't do that really technically on Udemy, but putting out a course for free on your own platform or, or even putting it out for free on Udemy just to get your name out there. And you can use that as sort of a lead generation. You mentioned that something that, that Jeremy Deegan mentioned. You can put out a free course on Udemy. At the end of a course on Udemy, you can drive people to your email list. So that's why I, I do continue to drive traffic to my courses on Udemy. I mean, some people would be like, well, why don't you on all of your social media, your YouTube, your website, why don't you just focus on sending traffic back to your own platform? But I continue to drive traffic whenever I launch a course and long term, I drive my own traffic back to Udemy because that traffic just helps helps those courses rank rank higher and that's going to i i've just seen the power uh, you can make a lot of money on udemy if you if you rank well and yeah i mean yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well uh, cl- clearly you can i mean you you've been very successful with udemy i've mentioned a lot of other people have and there's a there's a lot of people that uh, have been very su- successful with it and i find it interesting when you can find a way to make both work as Jason has and, and as you have, and your model is interesting where 
It's like, hey, if you want to buy an individual course from me, then then go over here, go to Udemy, pay 10 bucks for it. Or you can come over here to my site and it's a membership. So is it just like a monthly fee and then they get access to all your courses? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's basically it. I think the thing that I learned early on is you can't try to do both if it's exactly the same offering. You can't it's not going to work if I'm trying to sell my courses on my own platform individually for, you know, 15, 20 bucks. And then on Udemy, it's 15, 20 bucks. At that point, I would have to decide, am I going to drive my traffic to one or the other? But if you have either like me, a membership where it's, yeah, simply just access to all of my courses and people, because I have certain enough courses to keep it interesting for people, that has worked. If you don't have a ton of courses, I would say in a membership model, you would need to add some kind of bonus to keep those people in your membership. Maybe it's monthly updates. Maybe it's a monthly coaching call or office hours or things like that where they get extra access to you. But I don't think the monthly recurring sort of membership model works unless you have just enough content to keep it interesting or you're adding content to it. and. So yeah, or like what Jason does is he has a more premium offering. So he doesn't do the monthly membership, but if you have more premium offerings, he does things like yeah, study vouchers for some of the certification vouchers and things like that, guarantees that you'll pass your certification, those kinds of things that you can offer off of Udemy that is what works for someone like Jason. So yeah, it's got to be something, a different offering. I, I still, I know a lot of people though, that just, they don't host on their own platform and they just sell on Udemy and that's where their entire business is. And I mean, I think that's viable in the beginning. I thought, oh man, Udemy, who knows when Udemy's what's going to happen with Udemy in the next couple of years. And I always have that mindset of kind of like, well, this has been a good run. <laughs> and maybe in a couple of years, Udemy is going to disappear. But I don't know. I've been doing it for eight years now and Udemy has continued to grow. And unless they do like an IPO and someone buys it out and says, oh, we're just going to shut this down or convert it to something crazy. Uh, we're only going to hire like professional actors and, and people to teach these classes. I have confidence that Udemy is going to be here for the long run. But it's always nice to have that backup. And so it's nice for me to have my members on my teachable school that, hey, if Udemy disappeared, I would be fine. I I mean, I would take a dramatic cut to my income, but I could probably grow it on my own platform and... I'd be fine for a while anyways. So I just I just went to your website to just kind of see how you're positioning the, the membership itself. It's videoschool.com, right? And yep. at the top, mm-hmm. it says learn creative skills, 90 plus courses and thousands of hours of lessons. Learn video, photography, art, design, business, and more. Unlimited access for $12. So that's, to me, that's almost uh, insinuating I can pay $12 one time and get all this, but is it a $12 per month membership? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to update that to be over a hundred courses, but yes, it's uh, unlimited access for $12. Right. But then, yeah, you got to pay every month to keep that unlimited access. So, which is still insanely cheap. Like it's still an insanely good deal. Yeah. I think it makes sense for a lot of people who, who end up liking a lot of my courses and rather than deciding if they want to pay every time I launch a new course, which 
we are continuing to launch new courses every month or so. So you can also pay instead of the monthly fee, you can do like a year. We have a yearly option or a lifetime option. And so during our Black Friday sale, we do a, a once a year discount. The only time I discount our membership is during Black Friday, which just happened. But people take me up on that lifetime offer, offer because they get access to all of our future courses as well for that one mm-hmm. fee. And I think for me, it's made sense. I'm not someone who like runs the numbers specifically, but I have a sense that the lifetime value of a typical customer of mine is, I don't know, likely less than what they're going to on Udemy. Let me, let me back up. So the lifetime value of a customer on Udemy, who knows what it's going to be, but it would take a lot of course sales for me to make a hundred dollars on Udemy from an individual person. So if someone can sign up for my lifetime offer on my site for $250, then I think it's, they're getting a good, good offer. It's cheaper than they would to have to pay for individual courses, but I'm also getting a lot more uh, than I would probably make if they were buying my courses on Udemy, if that makes sense. So I feel like it's a pretty good deal for, for everyone. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the buzzwords the past few years is high ticket. Mm-hmm. And you've got you're selling over a hundred courses. I can get it all for two hundred and fifty dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are selling single courses for like ten thousand dollars. Like, what what are your thoughts on high ticket versus low ticket? I've tried the high ticket approach, and I've done it with online course masters, the podcast, and and the brand. It was just so much work for me to put in the time and effort to feel like I was delivering on that price. And I, it was a, we were charging, we did everything between like 300, $500. $500. So it wasn't even close to that $10,000 price. I honestly don't know how, I think a lot of people who charge $10,000, they just have either the confidence to be able to charge that. I don't know if like any course is really that valuable unless it truly is helping someone make that re- money in return. If it's helping them to to grow in their career, start their own business. But there's so many people out there that sell courses like that, that it's, it really is just a scam. And uh, there's most people who go through that, those kinds of courses aren't going to make that money. So high ticket sounds nice. But it's a lot, it's a lot of work to to deliver on that promise. And for me, someone just personally, it's it's hard for me to like feel comfortable even getting close to that price. I, I just don't think anything I could teach would be maybe it's val- that valuable to some people, but it'd just be hard for me to get up there. Well, you know, in fairness, like any any program that I've seen that costs that much, like that's kind of an extreme example, 10,000, because even one or 2,000 could be considered high ticket. Yeah. But if we're talking that much, it's usually more of like a group coaching program mm-hmm. where there's way yeah. more to it than just a collection of videos. And there's there's one-on-one attention even possibly and, and group coaching and so on. But, you know, you take a look at my course, my piano course, the, the most popular option that I sell Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea? You want to take? No, a guess? I, ha- I haven't. I haven't even looked at it. Actually, it's five hundred dollars. That's the most popular one. Do you have a, yeah. an offering um, for more? No, that's the top end. So I mentioned to you like ebook and and video course. Mm-hmm. So basically, I've got three tiers. 
The book itself is the same curriculum, but in words and pictures, mm-hmm. $97. Mm-hmm. Then you can add the videos for $297, meaning for $297, you get the workbook and the and the videos. Mm-hmm. But then for $497, you get the book, the videos, and then like like nine more things, mm-hmm. like some more courses. You get the community. You get two one-on-one lessons with me. You get to email me anytime you want. You yeah. get a live stream with me once a week. Like you get everything. And so it's it's not a clear balance. So that's why 80% of people choose the 497 package. Yeah. And I mean, I think that seems like a really good offer. And I think the difference too with you is you're not offering the same content on platform like Udemy where someone could get that similar content somewhere else. So it's very unique to your your own platform. And that makes it special. And I mean, I'm on your website. So how are... Because, <laughs> man, I should like... You know, the thing is, I've done this in the past. And I don't even want to go down this rabbit hole of being like, I should do this myself. Because <laughs> I have tried this this method before. It's just something that I like never really enjoyed. I, like personally, like I love just being able to put the course on Udemy use like the existing audience I've built to to launch it, promote it. And because I've built up that audience and I can launch a course, know that it will sell, it will start to rank well for for whatever keywords it's it's about. And then just I kind of let it go. And it just ends up being this like pretty really passive income for me. And it seems like what you've created is mostly passive and it, you've built up like a whatever your live stream schedule is and and that kind of thing. But when someone goes to your website, you don't even have an option to just an easy option. It looks like to just buy that 497 offer, right? They have to get the ebook first. Right. Right. Do you know why? Because you want them to get on your list. Well, yes, of course. But that 497 price for a course, for a piano course will scare off certain people just immediately, right? Without truly understanding what they're getting, right? So we have two, it sounds like we have two very different business models and both are like, mine's working very well for me. Yours is working very well for you as well. That's the the beauty of this line of work is as the business owner and the course creator, we get get to decide what's going to end up working best for us, right? And I think, I mean, not to toot our own horns, but if someone's watching this right now, I think just like you said, we are really good examples of how to do each separately. And these are kind of like the two paths to choose from. I think if you try to mix and match, it's going to get too confusing for you and your customers. And I don't know if there's really another model that works as well. But if you want to do the I would say traditional marketing funnel, Jacques' way of doing it with piano uh, in 21 days is like a perfect example of how to execute that. If you want to do a marketplace kind of business, I think looking at my business is a good good way to do it. Of course, I don't want to intimidate people and make them feel like, well, you have to create 100 courses to be successful. I think if you're going to do Udemy or Skillshare, that kind of thing, Five to ten courses is something that you should have in mind while before you start. Like, I don't think you should go into it thinking, "Well, I'm going to put one course and make a ton of money." Have in your mind that it's going to take five, ten courses, and that's going to help help it grow. And so, figure out whatever your topic, 
is that you're teaching, how can you break it down into those five to 10 topics that, that are related, that are either separate niches or like a series of beginner to advanced courses? That's what's going to help someone get started, I think. Well, that, that's really well said. That's one of the reasons I like this podcast so much is I can bring people on like you who are also succeeding with online courses, but in a different way because my exact you know, the exact way that I've gone about succeeding with an online course is not going to be right for everybody. So I want to hear as many different success stories and share as many different ones as we can and see maybe maybe certain ones resonate with certain people more than others. Yeah. And I think some people, it's weird because I think I'm in this world of, of Udemy and that's how I got started. And that's like a lot of the instructors and success stories that I know. But I think actually in terms of people wanting to get into online course creation, Udemy is often dismissed as a place that you can't make a lot of money from. And a lot of people think, well, the way that I have to make money or the way I should do it is the traditional sort of marketing method of, uh, you know, hosting on your own site and all of that thing. So I think both are very valid. But when I am honest with myself, I think most like there's more people that don't even consider Udemy than actually do. Yeah, it's certainly not my top recommendation when when somebody's starting out for people, but um, I do like to try to present them with with all the options too. And another great thing about this podcast mm-hmm. is I can say, "Hey, you're considering Udemy? Okay, well, let me tell you about some guys that have made it work and done it the right way. Go listen to this episode with Jason. Now I can say, go listen to this episode with Phil. You know, go listen to Scott mm-hmm. Duffy. Um, there's there's been plenty of others as well. Um, and so that's once again one of the great things about this. Now you've mentioned passive income several times. And, you know, that that certainly drew me in. You know, I was a religious listener to smart passive income. It's like four hour work week. Like, wait, you're telling me that I could wake up in the morning, check my phone, and I made money while I was sleeping? Like sign me up, right? But now, I mean, <laughs> eight almost eight years later now, like I'm all about not that that's not great, but like I genuinely want my people to learn how to play piano. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. charging a higher price is one facet of that, right? More skin in the game, right? They get more too. Yeah. And that's why I go live once a week and all the interaction, all the extra courses. And so it's, I don't know what you think about that, but it's funny to me that passive income is what drew me into this, but just like making an impact on other people is what is what I'm so passionate about now. And if I could, I would work 80 hours a week on this and I don't want to work four hours a week on it. Yeah. And I think. When I say, yeah, when I use the term passive, it's not that I'm not working. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it's not that I'm not working on the, on the business. At the same time, though, I will say that over the past, since I've had the kids, I have cut my hours to generally between like 15 to 20 hours of work a week. And then when I'm creating a, a course that I'm a part of, maybe I do a hard, hardcore week of filming and editing or a few weeks where I'm working 40 plus hours a week. Um, I think that sounds pretty cushy to most people though, right? Um, but to maintain the success of my courses, I couldn't, I can't just like sit back and not spend time doing all of the other things that keeps me successful. So I think our, my best selling course, the photography masterclass and all of my photography courses are a good example of how I continue to work and, and keep students happy. So what we do with with that is for all of our cor- our students in those courses, they get access to a Facebook group. And we try to keep it exclusive to the students who have purchased the course. 
And in that group, we're, we're doing live streams every week or two. We're doing competitions. We do weekly challenges. We do photo, student photo critiques. And this is happening all the time. And so I'm putting a ton of effort into that, that group, which has over 67, 68,000 members now. Um, it's not that one on, it's not always that one on one attention that you might spend with your students. And our students get access to this group for free with their, you know, $12 Udemy purchase. Um, but that's one of those things that if you're a Udemy instructor or not a Udemy instructor, it's something that you can add to a course that makes a student happy. It's like, wow, I signed up for this course. I get access to this, this group, but it's, it's extra work. And then on top of that, it's, you know, putting out YouTube content, extra tutorials and things like that, that again, we send to our students. And the name of the game is always just ranking higher, getting more reviews, better reviews. So whatever you can add to your course that's going to do that helps. Um, and I think on Udemy, if it's or anywhere, if you just create the content and you just like put out a series of videos, maybe if they're super high quality, you can get good reviews. But I think what works well is adding these bonuses, whether it's continual updates, access to a group, downloadable materials. We've converted the photography masterclass into a 150 page book or so that we give to everyone who signs up. So that's like a, that's like probably the shining star example of like what an awesome Udemy course is. You sign up, you get, get the book, you get access to this group. And it's like, wow, you got all this for, for a low price. You might be sitting there saying, Phil, you could try, you could do exactly what I'm doing and charge $4.97 for that. You could take out the access to the group and charge $1.97. And you could just sell the book for $97 with a couple of video lessons. And that might that might work. But right now, yeah, I'm just not interested in that model for myself. You could, but it's a totally different business model. Yeah. And it would be it would be changing to away from something that's already working for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So more than one way to skin the cat. You know, I have my biases based on what's worked for me. Yeah. And you have yours based on what's worked for you. And if everybody were the same, then it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so look, I'm still on videoschool.com and I've scrolled down a little bit and it says real world instructors. And there's a picture of 20 instructors. You've already talked about some of the partnerships, but but now I'm seeing these pictures on your own site and not just on Udemy. So somebody signs up for the $12 a month membership. Do you own these assets or are you having to share that revenue with these instructors? So the deal that I have with my instructors is that we split the revenue on Udemy. And generally, we just do like an even split with however many instructors are in the course. So two instructors, we split 50-50 because... I know other instructors who are at my level who, who partner with people and then, then they end up taking like a ridiculous percentage, 70, 80, 90% of the revenue because they feel like they bring that much value. And maybe to some people, I would bring that much value, but I don't, I like splitting the revenue fairly or even evenly because I feel like it's fair. And then it, it really does give both parties the incentive to put in the work to put in a create a great course and also to maintain that course and update it answers student questions so on udemy or anywhere else where we can split revenue we split revenue but then i always agree with my instructors that if 
we're selling the course on our own platforms, we each keep 100%. We don't have to split the revenue. And that gives each party the the flexibility and freedom that if they're going to put in the work and effort to market it, then they get to keep those rewards. So um, it it honestly started because it's just technically difficult for me to split revenue based off of a membership. I know like if like Skillshare, for example, does this with their instructors. So there's a revenue pool and they split revenue based off of minutes watched for the courses. But technically with Teachable, I would have to figure out some manual system or maybe I could pay someone to figure it out how to do it automatically to track hours of videos watched and split revenue and pay it. You know, it gets, yeah, it gets confusing. So, so I've never had an issue with an instructor who partnered with me saying, Oh, I don't like that deal because I also always tell people, all of my, I mean, maybe not all, but most of my marketing efforts are going to, to launch that course and get it ranking on Udemy because I don't, I, I don't like take my, say, let's pick a, a random course, uh, based on, so Thomas George, he's an instructor that does audio production. We just put out a audio and video production course for YouTube. I don't, send people from my YouTube channel or when I launch a course through my personal email list, I don't sell that course on my videoschool.com platform. I'm always sending traffic to the Udemy course because with my method of doing things, I want to rank that course on Udemy so that it, it does well on Udemy. So I feel like it's a pretty um, pretty fair deal. And I love helping people make money. Like I want people to make money to see like how successful they can be. So if they can sell these courses on their own platforms and, and market it themselves, like that's, that's awesome too. It's like, I think that's one of my passions now is like helping other instructors start making income and sell their own classes. Even though I'm not, I, you know, I started doing my own podcast and doing it that way. I'm not doing that as much now, but it's more just even like helping my mom do it or I'm helping my <laughs> future brother-in-law, we just put out a screenwriting course. And when they start seeing, wow, I can make a couple hundred dollars a month from this. This is awesome. And that's very fulfilling to me. That's really cool. I mean, I I assumed that the, the agreement you would have with these people is, hey, we'll split it 50-50 if it's on Udemy, but then I have the rights to the asset so that I can take them and sell them on my my site. But I didn't even think about the fact that they might be able to take the exact same asset and then sell it on their own. And you're not necessarily like crossing audiences or anything. It's not necessarily taking away revenue from you. It sounds like a really cool win-win the way you've set things up. Yeah. And I think it works well with this world of being on Udemy where courses are non-exclusive. If you were partnering with someone, it might look a little different because you might, you, you probably don't want someone selling, you know, the same content of yours for like a premium price. I mean, someone could do that with the courses we create, I create, but it just hasn't happened yet. And yeah, if someone wants to do it and market it themselves, that's, that's totally fine with me. So you, uh, you've mentioned the podcast a few times. At what point in your journey did you, did you decide, okay, I've got enough experience. Um, I want to start not only teaching photography and video and all this, this, this cool stuff, but I also want to teach about online courses. When was that for you? Oh, man. I think that was, it was pretty early on because 
on Udemy, I had enough success where pretty early on, people were just asking me like how to do it. And so that's when I felt like, well, I, I guess I could put out a course. That was probably like 2014, 2015. So like two or three years into it was when I put my first how to create an online course course. Um, <laughs> One of and, the OGs, course yeah, courses. Yeah. And the podcast, I think probably started a year or two later. I think I definitely had back then, and I still have imposter syndrome when it comes to teaching people how to, how to sell, how to market and, and do business. But just the fact that people continue to ask me and seem to find value in, and even those courses that I put put out back then, I, I have done one major update of that online course class um, back in 2016, I think. But yeah, that's when I started. And I've kind of, over time, just added more specific marketing courses and partnering with other people who, who focus on marketing, um, because people do want that. They ask for that. and. Um, but that's not really my passion, really. It's not like my my dream to teach people how to do business. I, I love doing more like the creative skills, photography and video. So why is it that that's the topic you made a podcast on and not the creative stuff? Or maybe you have a podcast on that as well. That, yeah, actually, that's a good question. Um, I don't have a podcast on the creative stuff. I, I think I started one about video production and I did like three or four episodes way back when, but I don't. And I think it was just because, as you know, when I started doing online courses, a lot of people just didn't know what I did. I think a lot of people still don't know what I do <laughs> and like just... Like in real life, right? Like yeah, like in real life. I, I think they like probably like I don't know. I just have the sense that I get judgment for like not fe- seeming like I work that much or not knowing. And I get that from like family. I get the same question not this holiday season, but every holiday season from like a specific uncle of like, oh, so what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I teach online courses. And every single time, it's like, well, if you could like raise a family and support your family with that, that's cool. And I'm just like, okay, that's, yeah, you don't even know, man. <laughs> but, um, but I think it was just like not, not going into an office, not being able to talk professionally with people who share the same passions. That's why I started that podcast and just being able to talk and meet with people who get me, who understand me. That was, that's like so exciting. Udemy has every year their Udemy live conference where we get to go get to meet in person and and meet other instructors who do the same thing and that's always a highlight of every year is just just getting to talk to people who who understand me and so it's that and then just learning from people and seeing the different models and yeah this i mean you probably feel the same way right i mean that's 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 kind of why i started this one as well it's like I I felt very in my bubble, especially not in a business niche, just like teaching people piano online course. It's like, I've never really known how to explain to, I call them people in real life, like not people you just know through the screen, what I do for a living. Like if somebody just meeting me and they ask what I do, I usually just start with like, I teach piano, just depending on where I want the conversation to go. It's like, oh, I'm a piano teacher. It's like, oh, okay. And then if they, if they pry, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but the opportunity to just meet and talk to other people doing the same thing, but in birding or photography 
or guitar or songwriting or just like all these wild niches I didn't even some of them I didn't even know existed until until I started the podcast and started trying to find good guests for the podcast and it's just such a cool experience to, to network with people like you all over the world doing something similar that I did and it's just it's an outlet yeah. for that otherwise like like I, I think I said this earlier in this conversation like I probably would have never met you like one of the faces of you to me I would say if not for this podcast yeah. And if I were just a piano yeah, teacher. And I mean, I think we kind of need that to to have some kind of connection. I mean, I think some people can probably just do this by themselves and not care about, you know, interacting with people who who share that same passion. But for me, I have like a small mastermind group that very casual, try to meet every we used to meet every week and then like three of us had kids in the same year. And so now we're meeting like every other week or so. But yeah, that's like the just talking with people and yeah like I still don't know what to say when people ask me what I do there's this kid in my that lives in my neighborhood who has a podcast it's very cool it's called career quest and it's for kids and she just interviews just like people so like a firefighter and like a doctor and ask them what they do and she her mom is friends with my wife and they're like oh would you want to be on the show and I'm like yeah sure but then I'm talking to my wife, Isabel, and I'm like, well, what, what am I? Do I say I'm a video creator? Do I say I'm an online teacher? Like, I don't know. I, I still, I'm still figuring that out. I think, <laughs> yeah, it depends on the conversation. But yeah, I still, I still don't know. <laughs> I, I feel your pain, man. So um, let's briefly talk about some tools. You, you mentioned that your membership is on Teachable. Why, why did you go with Teachable? And, and are you, you like yeah, it? Yeah, it was really just one of those first options back when they started, when I was trying to figure out how to self-host my courses, Teachable, Thinkific were there. Now there's a lot of other other options, but I, I just picked it. I stuck with it. I appreciate that they've continued to update and create new tools. Like just recently, they added a whole coaching option so that you can create your own, your own coaching basically plan. Um, and you can even bundle courses with coaching, which is cool. And so I have, and what I do with, um, in our photography group, my co-instructors actually can run their own coaching programs through my teachable school and everything's automated. So students can sign up, they get paid automatically. So it's a pretty good option if you're either running a school by yourself or if you're managing a school with multiple instructors. But yeah, I don't have any real complaints about Teachable um, and I'm happy with it. What about, um, I know you have an email list. What do you use for email? I use ConvertKit and I've used MailChimp for other things. I'm happy with with ConvertKit. It's honestly one of those things that I've never, I've done a lot with it, but I've never really spent the right time figuring it out. I have my sequences, you know, you could sign up different places, get tagged different ways. But most of my emails are just giant broadcasts that are about new courses. I don't do the best with email marketing, but ConvertKit offers me everything that I need. Yeah, I mean, when when the majority of your business is on Udemy, you don't have to worry about that as much. Yeah. I would say. And I think I in the beginning, I've I worried so much about like, oh, well, I need to like serve my audience through better emails. 
But now I just feel like, well, if you're on my email list, the point is to know about, learn about new courses that I put out or other major updates. And I'm happy with that. And if you don't want those, then you can unsubscribe. Any other software or tools that you use that you recommend for course creators? ScreenFlow is what I use for recording. Um, Can't live without canva.com for all of my graphic designs now. Um, I, you know, I know Photoshop and I teach Photoshop, but I use Canva for most of my my (laughs) graphics. I use later.com to schedule Instagram posts. Uh, For social media, I use recurpost.com. Do you know recurpost? No, I haven't heard of that. Oh, that's a really cool one. So that one, I think there's other ones that do similar things, but you can, you basically pre-create social media posts and it um, will automatically send out those posts on any of your platforms that you want on a recurring schedule. So I guess a good example of this is I have different buckets. So I have like video production articles or photography, YouTube tutorials, and I have like a bucket of like 30 posts that I've created. And then I just tell recur posts, like pick a random article and send it out once a week on Tuesday mornings to my photography group or like from the video bucket, pick a tutorial and send it out Thursdays on my Facebook page. So it's a pretty cool way to just batch create and send out, um, you know, have it all recurring. So it's, it's not like you have to schedule it manually, which is still good to batch create your content and schedule it out ahead of time. But at this point, it would just go on to eternity if I wanted to. And I feel like that's fine because I have enough content where it's it's only going to repeat content every six, seven months, right? And um, you know, people who follow me, that's that's not gonna like bother them that they're seeing the same thing once every, you know. Two times a year. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great application in your particular case. So that differs from, from something like later, which you mentioned, or like a Hootsuite or a Buffer in that uh, this particular tool will will reuse posts. You just put them in a bucket and then just, just pick one at random and then recycle them once we've gone through them. The only other, I've heard of a tool like that, but the one I've heard of is called Meet, Eg- Meet Edgar. Yeah, I was trying I was like, is it hey Edgar? It's yeah, meet Ed- Edgar. It's meetedgar.com. Yeah. So I didn't realize that there was a another uh another example of that. So thanks for sharing that. Um let's switch next from from like software tools to more physical tools, because I know you know a thing or two about video and audio. So let's say somebody's more a beginner course creator. They don't really have any camera, microphones, or anything. What do you recommend to beginners? And, and by the way, let me let me give you the example of somebody that needs to be on camera, like teaching piano. I've got to be on camera and I can't just do slides with audio. Um, what do you recommend for beginner uh, video and audio equipment for them to purchase? For, for audio, I always recommend a USB microphone. I mean, there's so many options out there. The Audio-Technica ATR 2100 is a very popular one. Inexpensive. Yeah, and inexpensive. The, the Blue Yeti is another popular one. I started with the Blue Snowball, Rode Podcaster, USB mic. Those are all like popular ones that I think any anything can can do. Um when you're talking about like more of like a demonstrative course like that where you have to show, you know, piano, cooking, those kinds of things, I think it would be hard to do that with a webcam. Mm-hmm. 
the logic. I started with just webcams. For you the could record. though. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Is like you could do that. Like you could get the Logitech C920 or the the Brio if you want 4K, and you could set that up on a, a tripod. And if you have a app like ScreenFlow or Camtasia where you could just record everything, your audio, video, and and if you need slides, that makes it super easy. Um, in terms of like a separate camera. Again, you could start with like a, a smartphone and, and you could do, do that. But, and smartphones have great quality images now, but the, just the getting the video from a smartphone to a computer and dealing with that is a little bit harder than actually making an investment in a basic camera, like a DSLR or a mirrorless camera that, that shoots video. I don't like have like, I don't want to give like a specific model number because that like really dates next week. I'm sure these, all these <laughs> camera brands will come out with a new version, but I know the Sony A6000 series is a very popular one. Um, I have three in here in this room. Is that what you're using That's right what I'm, now? Yeah. yeah. 6400. Yeah, so is that what you're using too? No, I'm, well, right now I'm just using my Logitech C920 webcam, but I have a Fujifilm X-T4. So I, for photography, Fujifilm is a really fun camera, really great camera. And their X-T series is, is another one that I would recommend. Um, they have an X-T 200 that's pretty affordable right now, but I use the X-T 4, which is, yeah, great for video. That's what I use for all of my courses now. But yeah, any, I mean, as soon as you jump up to like any DSLR or mirrorless camera, the quality is going to be so much better than a webcam and get some lights. Draycast is the brand that I use. Newer is a, an affordable brand on Amazon. You can get Aperture is a very popular brand for a bunch of YouTubers, uh, but really just a one or two LED panels is going to be enough to to light your set and um yeah make it look a little bit better than just using natural light well the the you know, most people will be consuming this content via audio only but as i'm looking at you your video quality is very nice i, I would have guessed it was a dslr and not a webcam but now that I, i'm thinking that through in my head i'm pretty sure i've seen a youtube video from you before where it's like how to look really great on just a webcam am i, am I making that up or have you made that video before yeah, no, may, you can enroll my free class, how to look better on a webcam. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what that is one of my, you would be happy about that little funnel is getting onto into my email list. You go to videoschool.com and you can, yeah, get access to that class. I go through like the different steps of, you know, placement, lighting, all that kind of stuff. Um, but specifically for webcam. I bet, and, I bet that, uh, that course soared when the lockdown started. You know, I didn't pay attention to it, but, um, you know, all of my, you know, I haven't talked about this on a podcast episode before. So, you know, this is going to make you maybe cringe, but <laughs> when the lockdown started, what I did was I basically gave away all of my courses for free. And, um, you know, most people who run businesses would be like, why would you give away stuff for free ever? Um, but I took most of my courses and I, I literally made a post on social media that here's like 20 courses. You know, you're stuck at home, learn something new. This is what I can do. 
And I was actually inspired because my mom did the same thing with her course. And I was like, oh man, now I want to do that. And it blew up. And Udemy actually was like, okay, from now on, you can't, we have to limit the number of free <laughs> students that can access the course because I had over a million enrollments in those courses wow. over the course of a couple of weeks. And um, that actually helped with sales because that month when I, I did that, you can only create free coupons for like five, I forget what it was, three days on Udemy. But then after those free coupons expired, people were still clicking on those links and, and, and buying the courses. So I, I made $20,000, $30,000 from the actual free links I had sent out because people saw it and were still interested in buying. Um, but yeah, that was, that was crazy. I don't know why I thought about that. but um, <laughs> Well, I just mentioned the lockdown. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really cool. I mean, that's, you didn't plan to just have those out there for free forever, but it was just like, you were looking for a way to help serve people through the difficult time. Yeah. I I certainly wouldn't have done that, but I also basically just have one course too. So if I start giving that away for free, then my other revenue streams go away. But that's actually when I started doing my weekly live streams. I had never done that Mm. before the lockdowns, but what I noticed was the first full month of lockdowns, I think April, like normally normal months for me is like 150 new students. And I got almost 500 new students, like triple normal. And I'm like, holy smokes, everybody was staying home, wants to learn piano. But not only that, all of my previous students, whether they signed up last month, six months ago, three years ago, like everybody was reinvigorated by piano as well. So everybody's coming back to the course. So I'm like, what can I do to help serve them more? That's not going to like necessarily cost me any money, but it's not necessarily going to gain me any extra either. And that's when I started just doing a weekly live Q&A. And as it yeah. turns out, it's a great idea, and I've been doing it ever since. That's yeah, that's awesome. That's interesting to see what yeah your experience is selling on your own platform during those first months of the lockdown. Because from March through June, those were some of my best months ever. Or May's, I think it was May, April or May was my best month ever in business, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I always wondered. I mean, this lockdown is a little bit different than like a recession, but I always wondered, would online courses be something that like is not a good business during a market downturn? Because since I've been doing this since 2012, like the economy globally and here in the States has been pretty good. And so I always worried about that. But I think now I realize that even during a downturn, people are going to be wanting to learn new skills and, um, you know, spending the money to yeah on courses compared to other maybe things that they can't purchase during a a recession i think it very much depends on the niche right yeah. so the lockdowns were very good for my piano business because people are home it's it's not it wasn't necessarily a recession so they just were looking for things to do and a lot of people have learned piano on their bucket list. Yeah. So that's why it went so well. But it's on it's, my list. <laughs> there you go. I have a good course recommendation for you. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't take very long. Um, <laughs> but if it were a real recession or depression, then that yeah. would be uh, hard-earned min- money. They probably wouldn't be wanting to spend on a $500 piano course when they yeah. could buy bread and milk. And so yeah. I do worry about that as well. I think I think piano probably would not do as well in those times. However, I have a second brand. It's not at the same level, but I teach a little bit about online courses and yeah. I feel like that would actually do better. Yeah, you know, totally. J- Jason Dion yeah. always talks about 
how he feels like his is recession proof because of what he teaches. Um, going back to the to the pandemic, like I have a really good friend who teaches how to start a um, an in person uh, sell microgreens at the farmers market course, and so like that started to not do so well because teaching people how to start yeah. an in in person business, <laughs> yeah, not in, so good <laughs> in May of 2020 was not a great idea. But yeah, fortunately, like guys like that, he actually pivoted and now he teaches how to do home delivery, which. He's back up and doing well. It's been interesting to see a lot of the pivoting happening with all of this, but um, an interesting discussion. So look, we're almost done. Just a couple more questions for you, Phil. Uh, truly been a pleasure, man. Just uh, these, these might be on a little bit deeper level than like tools, but um, before we get out of here, I want to ask you a couple of things. One is what's an obstacle? Like what's, what's something that's happened in the past eight years since you started this online course stuff that was kind of a challenge and you were able to get around it that might be um, inspirational for people listening. Yeah, I think um, going back to what we started talking about, having a family was, I mean, I hate saying having a family was an obstacle, but having a family and having to figure out my schedule surrounding that was an obstacle. I always looked forward to becoming a dad, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. And maybe having twins first was a little bit harder. Um, we have one kid now and, you know, I know it's hard to have one kid if that's your only experience, but we are, our single girl now, I'm like, this is easy. <laughs> it's like those first months of like feeding her at night. I'm like, man, I'm getting so much sleep compared to when we had the twins. But I know if your experience, I know it's hard if if that's your only experience, but it was really hard. And, um, you know, I went to therapy for a few months during this time, uh, a couple times, actually, just during the first couple years of trying to figure out everything and figure out how to be a dad, how to balance that, how to feel like, well, I want to be a dad. I am in this super fortunate position of being able to, you know, work from home, be here. But at the same time, I want to do my business. And how do I balance that schedule and figure that out? Because it is a constant battle with, you know, figuring out like, well, I have this, I'm afforded this option of like, I could not work right now. I could literally stop working and the business would be fine. And, you know, maybe I get back into it when the kids go to school or whatever. But just the way I am, I want to be productive, I want to get to work. And so that trying to figure that out has been has been really hard and just be like, happy. And like, that's what I learned is like, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. That's a 1000% true. You know, I paid off my student loans. And that was a big weight off my shoulders. But as my income has grown, I've hit different monthly levels. And if I would have said like, well, I wasn't going to be happy if I was making 10 figures a month or six figures a month. Uh, back when I started this, I'd be like, man, you're crazy. But like, I have months or days where I, I don't feel completely happy. And I've accepted that. And I, I'm okay with that. But that has definitely been, um, you know, struggle, just just life. I think everything, everyone goes through that and not enough people talk about it though. And, um, I don't, I don't know all the answers or anything, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's been something that I'm still going to go through and it's still tough. 
Well, you've put you've put together all of this work already, over a hundred courses. Like you've put in the work. If that's truly a struggle, like why not just stop? Why not just stop and reap the benefits? Yeah. <laughs> I think because I like doing it and it's like what I, I I enjoy doing it. And so yeah, it's tough. Like sometimes I someday I, I've gotten into sourdough baking and I got into it before the pandemic. So I'm not one of those <laughs> people, but some days I think, man, I should just quit and <laughs> bake bread. <laughs> and maybe I want to start a bakery, which to me, I've, I've, I tell people like, it's the opposite of an online course. Like baking bread to me, it's like, I'm doing it with my hands. It's something that like lasts a couple of days compared to this digital online course that lasts forever. Um, it's just this nice separate thing to do. And maybe, yeah, and I think the, you know, maybe it is good to take breaks and I should take more breaks. But yeah, at the end of the day, I like doing this and I like running the business. I like connecting with students and impacting lives that way. And I'm still, you know, pretty young. We're still young. And so I don't know if I I don't think I could just stop now and like never work again. And I don't want to go back to a nine to five job. So. I want to make sure the business continues to run for for as long as it can. Good answer. Well, um, this has been fun. It's been fun to get to know you a little bit. I want to give yeah. uh, give you a chance to give some calls to action because I know you've got plenty of courses that would be valuable to listeners because um, uh, producing great videos and and making yourself look good on a webcam and and even a photo. I, I don't even know all the courses you possibly have, but there's definitely some relevant ones to this audience. So I want to give you that chance, but the, is there going to be a call to action to like your podcast? Like I know you have a, a podcast on course creation, online course masters, but like, is it coming back? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Putting me on the spot. Um, I, to be completely honest, it's low on my priority list to, to bring that back, but it still has, I can't remember how many episodes I did almost a hundred episodes, uh, Lots of great interviews with instructors, a lot focused on Udemy, but some not on Udemy. So if people are, you know, in your audience listening to this, wondering more about Udemy, wanting to hear more of those sort of starter stories, yeah, check out Online Course Masters anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's a great place to go. And then, yeah, just go to videoschool.com. I think, um, I like you said, I have a lot of courses that will help you become a course creator a better one from uh, yeah, video production, editing in Premiere Pro, uh, some marketing um, as well. And uh, yeah, lots. Oh, I think I did. I think I have purchased one of your Premiere Pro courses. I know I bought a YouTube course that was you, but I think a Premiere Pro too, back when I did my own editing and I was, I was using Camtasia and then I wanted to upgrade Premiere mm. Pro. So I went to Udemy. Got your course. Forgot about that one. So I've bought you two courses from you. You've you've gotten twenty dollars. I'm gonna have you. to repay the favor someday. <laughs> but but then of course Udemy took half of that, yeah. and then <laughs> yeah. one of the courses had another instructor. So you got like seven dollars. Yeah, from probably. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I mean, we talked a lot about my membership. So it, if that sounds like a good value to people, go um, check it out at videoschool.com. Absolutely. I might have to do it myself, man. It's an insane value and you're obviously able to impact a lot of people that way. So man, thanks so much. Pleasure. Hope we can do it again. All right. That's a wrap. 
Dr. K, welcome back. Thank you. I know you. I know you wanted me to to try to get Phil on for a while. Like I said before, a lot of people were requesting him to come on. Finally, made it happen. Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh man, yes, I definitely listened to most of the online course masters episodes, and so. Yeah, Phil, I mean, I'm just kind of sending a little audio bear hug your way. It's like you're being lifted up and swung back and forth like like one of your kiddos hugging their favorite stuffed animal. I mean, I don't want you to feel like I'm like Kathy Bates in misery here saying I'm your biggest fan, uh, really creepy like, but uh, I I really enjoyed the podcast. And I think anybody listening that isn't familiar with, with Phil Abner from his podcast, you just come across as the nicest and most genuine guy. I mean, I love how you split your revenue in this super fair way that your your biggest passion today is you said it you just love helping other people make money uh, mentoring and and helping these newer course creators start to have success that idea that that sometimes you just want to open a little bread breakery and, and make bread uh, you know that kind of got a little awe out of me and then uh Jacques didn't dig into this but where you made a course with your mom I just love that idea. I actually talked to my mom yesterday and I was so excited because I finally got her to uh, work the Libby library app. So so she uh, she succeeded at downloading an audiobook and starting listening for the first time yesterday. And I was doing a fist pump about that. So it was just fun to hear that you're actually making a course with your mom. Cool. Yeah. He, he's so, just so genuine. You know, you, you mentioned in the intro, um, you know, typically a, a company's main um, objective is is highest as possible profit, right? And that is extremely important, but you don't necessarily get that with Phil. Like, yes, he's in it to make money, but he's in it for so many reasons. And you can tell he just genuinely wants to help people and he wants to help people do so many things. I mean, you look at, like, I found it so interesting that, you know, his top passion is not like helping people with courses necessarily. And I was like, why is that the topic you started a podcast on? You know? And he was like, yeah, good point. (laughs) You know? But yeah, you you you. I think you've been listening to online course masters for for a while, and there's a, there's very few podcasts that are just about courses and course creation and course creators, and that's one of them. It's it's on hiatus right now. This is one of them, but there, there's only a handful of them out there. Right, and yeah, I guess I'm just a online course groupie in a way. The stories of of course creators. Um, I would say they're evergreen content. I mean, you can listen to, you could go back to li- and listen to some of these online course masters, couple year old interviews, and you still would have valuable takeaways. And the, the stories of changing people's lives, it's still really fun to listen to that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, like we, we, you know, we have to do research for guests to come on this, this podcast. People are recommending to people. Sometimes I'll get pitched for people to come on. Um, sometimes I'll just like Phil, I just, I've always wanted to have Phil on, but our team does research and tries to find people that would be a good fit. And be honest with you, like looking through the guests of online court, uh, you know, podcasts, like online course masters is, is one resource we use to try to get guests to come on this podcast. Nice. So you asked some really great questions this episode that really got a little deeper. I, I kudos to you for that. Those were great questions, but thanks. Get what, like, do you have an example of, of one? Well, yeah, that favorite thing that the course enabled. Yeah. Uh, that was so fascinating because you you kind of go into that question thinking that people are going to share something really fun. And and Phil did with the discussion of multiple weeks in Hawaii. But obviously, when he says the biggest thing was that it helped him pay off his student loans rapidly, I could relate to that. And I think that does really highlight that 
you know, when we're selling courses, people are usually running towards something. They have this like aspirational goal, but a lot of people are trying to get out of, of a bad situation or, or improve some poor part of their life. And just when he shared that stress that he felt with the student loans, um, I was like, that's, that's powerful. I could relate to that personally. Did you actually, what's your student loan story with you and your wife? Did you guys actually take out a bunch? No, we we were both very blessed. Uh, we both are born and raised in Louisiana, and I don't even know if it's around anymore. But but at the time when I was in high school and, and college, we had a program here called Tops, which um, all you had you had to have a certain uh, GPA um, and uh, ACT score, and it wasn't it wasn't very high. Like it was a very very reasonable GPA and ACT score, and and you would basically get free in state uh, tuition to any of the state schools. And, and my wife and I both went to LSU. And so we, uh, we had our, our learning basically paid for because of that and just had to pay for, for housing and, and books and, and meals. And, and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I do just, I would say that I view anybody that's developing a course, trying to help people learn something new. I view them all as heroes, but as we're talking about this concept of student loans and, and just the ways that the four-year degree is broken. I would just say anybody out there listening, if you have a course that helps people not go deep into debt with college, you know, get after it, like create that opportunity for people that are out there. I just want to cheer you on. And uh, within, within your, your podcast and your sphere of influence, Jock, it is kind of interesting. Your first mission with your podcast was helping people take a hobby and share it with people. Yeah you could kind of add this new start with why thing that, that the goal is to transform the world, break the bachelor's degree. So, <laughs> I mean, I love this idea that, that people don't have to go so deep in debt to, to have a successful career. And I know that that was, one of, that was one of Nate's initial goals too. I know in one of the early episodes, he had this mission of saying he wants to help people escape wage slavery. Yes. And so it is cool to see that develop. For the most part, pretty, pretty anti-debt um, as well. You know, I, I recognize that I was very blessed in a lot of ways to not have to take out any, any student loans. I did get um, my MBA a few years after graduating from undergrad as well. I chose to do that while working and not, not take off. So I was able to cash flow that even though it cost like forty five fifty thousand dollars $50,000. So I didn't have to to go into debt for for that either. But you know that reminds me. Just a week or two ago, I had somebody reach out to me who um, wh- whose business is is literally like venture capital for course creators, like providing providing loans to course creators so they can get off the ground and get running. And he was he was like, "Man, can we you know, sponsor the podcast? Come on, like let's how can we how can we have some some sort of partnership?" I was like, "Man, look, it looks like a cool business." But it's just not congruent with who I am and, and what my message has been, right? right? I'm not I don't advise people to to go into debt when they're starting an online course business. That's one of the great things about it is because you can bootstrap it. You can get a minimal viable course out there and start getting students and then only start paying for for more significant things once you have cash coming into the business. That's more of what my recommendation is. Not that you can't make it work other ways, but that's just that's who I am. That's that's what's important to me. So I love hearing from people like Phil who, you know, that's, that's one of the big things that 
having successful courses has done for him is allowed him to pay off these student loans. It's such, such a big burden for a lot of people. Right. So in the discussion about high ticket versus low ticket, I wanted to share that personally, I essentially signed up for a course that was $36,000. So again, I, I got a chiropractic degree and there's a tiny bit of business education in that. I got out of school. I worked for another doctor for 18 months, and then I was going to start my own practice. And I just did not feel like I had all the business skills that I would need. And so there was this consulting group and essentially what they offered, if I had to say like what they offered and how I priced this and how I justified the value was they offered all the benefits of a franchise. And so that is kind of a price comparison. And when you talk about $5,000, $10,000 courses, I would say that's a comparison that you and I haven't talked a lot about. But if you want to go out and buy a franchise, what you're buying there is confidence. You're buying a complete system to start a business. And that's, that's what this coaching program worked, looked like. And so the one that I, the one that I joined for $36,000, it was a five year commitment. I got a coaching call every two weeks for 30 minutes. I got to go to five live seminars a year. I got training for myself and a staff. So it was pretty close to a business in a box. But, but I knew that I actually needed my parents to help me out financially. And so it was a part of me giving them the confidence to invest in me is like, all right, well, this is the largest coaching company in chiropractic. They have 3,500 members that are all having success. And so, so yes, I would say that when we start to talk about those expensive courses, you could compare them to the cost of an actual college education. But if they truly help people start a business, a franchise is a good good comparison. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's all the way on one side of the spectrum, $36,000. And it's, it's hard to even call that a course, right? It's like, it's a program, it's a coaching program, right? It's not just a course and it's, it's hard to sell something for $36,000. That's just videos, right? It's, it's gotta be much more than that. Well, I don't know. I mean, if there was like, if there was live Q and a, I think that everything that happened in person from the coaching calls, a lot of that could have been done through an online course format and I could have gotten the same value. A lot of times I, I don't listen to live, I don't listen to very much live material. So I don't really care when the stuff was recorded as long as I can hear it. So, well, at the end of the day, it's all about value, right? If it brings you more than $36,000, hopefully way more than that um, in value to your life, to your business, to your family, then it's, it's worth it. It would be very hard for me to justify a $36,000 price tag for a piano course. No. That's, that's totally different. And that's, that's one of the things that's so cool about this is like there's no limit to what topics we could be teaching in an online course. It's just information. It's just a way to convey information. Historically, the top way to do that is, is, is a book. I mean, how many millions or billions of books have ever existed? But I personally, like when I'm learning something, like I love online courses. That's a, that's a way that I, right. I, personally like to consume them and not just online courses, but, but next level courses, right? Ones that have some, I like the live components. I like the, the bonuses. I like the community and all that. And that's the type of courses that I like to see listeners of this podcast and my students create as well. So what course have you been a part of where you really participated in a live component? Cause I know that you joined the, uh, you have your bookkeeping group and they have some live Q and A's. Do you yeah, join yeah, those yeah. at all? So with the with Evolve Finance, that's you know they they actually do have a, a course. My my bookkeeping company, EvolveFinance.com, That's a service, and it's like 
a course, like a really a lot of great financial bookkeeping, accounting information they have in a teachable course that if you're one of their clients, you have access to. And they also have twice weekly Q and A's for you to just come on and, and get some financial coaching. And I've I've jumped on there probably three times. It's been really valuable, really helpful. And that's that's something I'm actively using. I know that you know, I've been following um, Sam Ovens for for a long time because I thought years ago, I thought my main thing was going to be digital marketing consulting just because starting an online course, I got a lot of, I, I didn't know the first thing about online marketing, had to learn a lot of it. And so I thought I could just help businesses with digital marketing. As it turns out, that was way too broad. And what I'm, what one thing I'm most passionate about is online courses specifically. But if, if you're not familiar with Sam Ovens, he runs uh, consulting.com. He's a, he's a great guy. He's, he's a brilliant marketer. But back when I was wanting to be just a digital marketer, I signed up for one of his programs. And uh, there's, there's, there's a community and, and live component uh, there as well that I've certainly participated in in the past, not so much now, but, but certainly years ago, did a lot with that. Nice. All right. So talking a little bit about Udemy, I thought one of the best questions you asked was, what happens if somebody makes a course, puts it on Udemy, and they're just kind of crickets, it doesn't get onto that first page, it doesn't really take off. What can that person do? And I was thinking kind of a different way to ask that question is, let's say that Phil is talking to a six-year younger version of himself today in 2020 with where Udemy is at. And Older Phil has all the success that he ha- he has, and this younger Phil, he's a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And young Phil says, "I want to make a photography masterclass. I want to make a videography masterclass and put this on Udemy. What do you think is going to happen? Can I have success? Can I break into this market? And what would Phil's advice be? I mean, I don't think that we really got a clear answer on on whether whether a new instructor somebody that's listening right now, can that new instructor who looks like Phil, kind of in a similar situation to Phil, has the same uh, set of knowledge as Phil, can they break into Udemy? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm I'm certainly skeptical. Um, Phil's got the advantage of, of being on it for a long time. A lot of the Udemy people that we've had on the podcast that have found success are the ones that were on the platform in 2012, 2013. They've been on it a while. It's, it's it's actually interesting. I would love to maybe try to get a guest on that is more new to you to me and found success if that's if that even exists. But if somebody in that particular situation, if I'm advising the person, you know, I'm going to steer them more toward Tim Shields' case study, who who was on the podcast fairly recently. He teaches photography. You you specifically mentioned that as an example. And he he doesn't use a marketplace. He sells his stuff on his own domain, and it's you know like three hundred dollar photography course. But it's but it's more than that, right? It's live Q and A. It's a group community. And and Tim is a newer course creator. He's only been doing it a, a year or two, and I know that can work. You know, I like to see actual examples. Points you to examples of it working. I could say, well, here's Phil. He's made Udemy work, but he's been doing it a long time. Or over here, we've got Tim, who's got a photography course on his own platform, and he's newer. You might want to try this path. Right. So I was trying to think about what things would actually enable somebody to possibly break into a crowded space in, in Udemy. But the other thing, uh, just the entertaining value. So, I mean, when I look back on the teachers in my life, like what teachers have I appreciated the most? 
I mean, definitely teachers that had an element of humor. I mean, of the in-person professors in my life, I would say that I have a very small number of professors that I thought were 10 out of 10, but I was reflecting back in college. I had this professor named Mick Mack and uh, he taught psychosocial aspects of competitive sports when I was in college. And just every time that I, I went to class, he would have some kind of an Easter egg, something funny or neat that he taught us. And I always remember the, the one that was my favorite was he said, you know, if you're ever out on the golf course and you got some money on the line with your buddy and, and he's a stroke or two ahead of you, he said, next time he heads out to, to drive the ball, ask him, hey, do you breathe in or out on your backswing? And uh, he just said, just mess with their head. And just every, every class had a little Easter egg like that, these little psychological tricks. And that was what made him a 10 out of 10 professor. So yeah, I'd be curious if somebody wanted to, to start teaching Canva or web security or photography on Udemy, could they, could they break into those markets at all? Well, I think that's uh, a lot of that's just personality too. And that's one way that you can differentiate yourself is, is nobody else is going to teach your topic like you would. And you want to let your personality shine as much as you can. It's not going to be for everybody, right? People, people come into my world. They want to, they want maybe even more than like the, the allure of piano in 21 days. Like they, for whatever reason, they just want to learn piano from me. And, um, in in a lot of ways I probably got lucky there, but at this point I would say I'm a pretty good piano teacher, but I don't take myself too seriously in my course. You know, I'll joke around a little bit. Um, it's it doesn't have to be the most professional thing ever, and I think that's one of the things that um, that people like about it. Right, and that does kind of lead into the next thing I wanted to discuss. Is just Phil is a highlight that once you've established yourself as a good teacher, you can branch out into other subjects. So Phil's his primary course topic is photography, videography, editing videos. But if you look at his library of courses, he has things like personal finance in there. Mm-hmm. that are definitely a step removed, but he's he has validation that people enjoy learning from him. And so I would say another great example of that is Leon Turetsky. So yeah. his initial course was dance. And then now he's created this new course on posture and spine health. I, I would say Leon Turetsky would be a great one to try to get back on the podcast because it's not really a pivot because it's an added course to his portfolio, but it's totally separate, but really interesting. Well, you know, we, we've talked about the concept of a thousand true fans, right? And if you want to go about this, um, this online business, online course business the right way, and you're not like in a huge rush, the right thing to do is build your audience first. There's no question about that. Not that you can't have a success making the first version of your course and then trying to launch it, but the best thing to do is build your audience first and try to get as many like true fans as possible. And I, I think at this point, I, you know, I probably don't have a thousand true fans for on the online course guy side of things, but I think there's a lot of people that are, that are, um, coming into the world, listening to the podcast, and they're respecting my opinion on courses and just how to run an online business, how to do this stuff. And so I think that I, I could launch courses on, you know, morning routines or personal finance or things that aren't necessarily directly related to online courses, but, but indirectly and just living, living your life the best you can. Not that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but once you um, start building trust with people, they start following your stuff. They want to learn more and more, more from you. I think that's easier on this side of things versus my, my piano business. Cause that's, that's music, right? That's, 
That's all about learning piano. Whereas over here, we talk about online courses, online business, like that's, that's life. Right. Right. Yes. I, I actually was going to mention that I thought that you could have some success selling a course about just better health and, and better life in general. Um, that was kind of one of the reasons that I was really excited to do that four steps to eliminate stress yes. episode that was Which, a couple back was because I knew that you would have some, you would have some really valuable insights and, and things that I would be like, people would really value that. Which that episode got a lot of great, uh, we had a lot of great feedback from that episode. That was, that was fun. All right. So the last thing I really, really enjoyed where you asked Phil what the obstacle that he had to overcome was. And, and Phil, if you're listening right now, I mean, I just want to thank you for your candor about the struggles uh, that have happened within success and just having all this success and then having children and trying to figure out how to balance that. It instantly made me think of this book that I read and it's, uh, it's called Dad is Fat by Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> And so I have to read this quote from this book. Um, it's kind of long, Jacques. So uh, Jacques and the listeners sit in for just a little bit, but it's so relevant. And uh, yeah, Phil, I thought this was something you might get a kick out of. So uh, this, is, this is Jim Gaffigan here. So I wasn't ready for the guilt of being a parent. I was raised Catholic. So guilt is a familiar friend. Guilt is as much of a part of the Catholic culture as rooting for Notre Dame. I grew up with a God is watching you, so you better not make him mad mentality. I felt guilty for feeling good, for feeling bad, and for feeling nothing. Attending confession was supposed to alleviate some of the guilt, but I always ended up feeling guilty for not telling the priest everything I felt guilty about, so I stopped going to confession. Then I felt guilty that I stopped going to confession. That's a lot of guilt. Just when I thought nothing could top Catholic guilt, I became acquainted with parental guilt, which totally puts Catholic guilt to shame. Sorry, Catholic guilt. Now I feel guilty for shaming you. Well, at least now you know how I feel. No matter how hard you try to be a good parent, you always know deep down that you could do more. I feel guilty when I travel out of town to do shows. I feel guilty when I'm in town and I don't spend every single moment with my children. I feel guilty when I'm spending time with my children and and I'm not doing something constructive toward their intellectual development. I feel guilty when I feed them unhealthy food they like. I feel guilty when I feed them healthy food they don't like. I feel guilty when I drop them off at school. I feel guilty when I pick them up at school. I feel guilty mostly for writing this book instead of spending time with them. Great. Now I've probably made you feel guilty for reading this book. I feel guilty about that now too. Sorry. Probably what I feel most guilty about is how many times I've used the word guilty in this essay. Again, let me sincerely apologize. Wow. I feel so much better after this confession. You are right, Catholic guilt. Thank you. (laughs) So... That's Jim Gaffigan and Dad is Fat. And yeah, I just, uh, I actually didn't finish that book, but that, that stuck with me. I'm, I'm a, not a parent. Uh, that's by choice. And, uh, but I do have a really strong sense of guilt. And I was like, wow, like, yes, I could see where being, being a parent would create a lot of different emotions. Well said. Yeah. J- Jim Gaffigan, if anybody's not familiar, he's a, a pretty famous uh, comedian. Uh, very, very funny guy. Thanks for sharing that, David. So. Anything else or is that it on, uh, on your list? I think that's about it on my list. The last, the last thing I wanted to, to mention here is, you know, I, I think I even started talking about this in the intro. Just Phil and I have a different approach to, to course creation, right? He's, he's he, over 100 courses for him. That's amazing. He's able to reach people all over the world at a lower price point. He's serving people in his way. People that there, there's some people that wouldn't ever be able to afford a course more than $10 and, and they're able to take 
Phil's course and learn from it and get results. That's awesome. Mine's more like one course. And um, so just, you know, look, look at the different ways that people are succeeding and, and try to figure out what's works best f- for you. And uh, what's interesting is if you, if you look at it at this point, you know, throw out the online course guy side of things, pretend all I had was piano in 21 days, and then Phil's got his business. Well, then my job is essentially to market the course and like create content that is at the top of the funnel. And I'm just trying to, to market and sell as many copies of this course as possible. Whereas Phil's job is to make new courses, right? Right. Especially if you're using a marketplace where they handle most of the marketing once you get some traction there. So at this point, he's cranking out courses and my focus is marketing that one course. So which one appeals to you more? Like once you're a course creator, like what is what do you want your job to look like and uh, and go, go after that path? That's an excellent synopsis. Yeah. All right, David. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Finally got Phil Ebner on. So thanks to Phil. Thanks to you, uh, Dr. K, for joining me here again. Thanks to everybody out there listening. You can find all the show notes, um, the notes and, and links from today's episode by going to oc.show slash 164. You want to hear who we're having on next week? Who is it? Austin Netsley. All right. Okay. So not not a true like course creator, but he is the author of a book I've mentioned on this podcast already. It's called From Six to Seven Figures. And so I wanted to go ahead and mention to everybody that he is going to be on the episode next week because homework, read the book between now and the next episode. Um, that'll give you even better context for that episode. So the premise behind his new book is the things that you did to take you to, to grow to a six-figure business are not that necessarily the things that you need to be doing to go from a six-figure business to a seven-figure uh, business. So if you are a, a brand new, completely uh, beginner, haven't even launched your course yet, probably not a great fit. But if you if you've one way, shape, or form have launched your business or your course, made at least like one sale, read the book. It's amazing. It's all about systems and team and mindset and um, and just all the things that you need to be doing to really scale your business. And so I would encourage you to um, to read that before next week's episode. David, have you read it yet? No, I started it, but I figured I'd listen to it on audio closer to when we're going to record our discussion about it. So I've got my work cut out for me for the, the next couple of days. Great. So we'll include a link to that book in the um, show notes for this episode as well, uh, since I'm mentioning it right now. So once again, you can find those notes and links at oc.show slash 164. We'll be back next week for the episode with Austin Netsley. Until then, get out there and make some next level courses with transformation and not just information. Take care, everyone. 